0: Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Uh, Well, today we're starting a brand new series called Telling the Story. Uh, Telling the Story is a seven-week series highlighting parts of the Christian story from the book of Acts. And so uh, I encourage you to see if you can make it for all seven of the weeks as we, uh, l- as we celebrate our story. Uh, when we, I think a lot of times when we read scripture, it's easy for us to remove ourselves by generations uh, from this important story. But I want us to know that as we're reading the book of Acts, and as we're looking at these stories, uh, this is part of our story, part of our heritage. Uh, but more than that, this series is a recognition that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the story of God intersecting human history for the purposes of salvation. The gospel story is the story of God intersecting human history for the purpose of salvation. And so by affirming what the gospel is, we are also, during this series, implying what the gospel is not. And that is to say, the gospel is not a set of propositional truths that you either intellectually believe or not. Uh, But rather, the gospel is the most powerful story ever told, and it reveals to us truth about ourselves, about the world, and about who God is. And I want to mention and remind us that the truths revealed in the telling of this story are truths that transcend empirical evidence, that oftentimes the gospel is pointing us to things that are true, not because you can taste them or see them or touch them or, or grow them in a Petri dish, but rather, that's supposed to be funny, by the way. <laughs> it's okay. I, I'm, I'm still working out the jokes. Um, so but rather they, they are so true uh, that you can't necessarily point to them. Uh, for example, this is the, the one that I often uh, tell or try to work into uh, the life of my eight-year-old daughter is I try to say love. Love is absolutely true, but you can't uh, so easily prove love. Uh, there are signs that, that love is present, but you can't really point to love itself because love is a truth that transcends empirical evidence. And the gospel points us to those same kinds of truths. Uh, and so we we recognize in this series that the gospel is a story of God intersecting human history that reveals to us truths that go beyond empirical evidence. That's what we're really affirming uh, throughout this whole series. In other words, the gospel then is not a, set of, a static set of facts that you either believe or reject, but it is a story that invites us to orient our lives according to the truth that it reveals. So ultimately, when we tell the story, what we are doing is sharing an invitation. And so I invite you today, as we heard the reading of, of Peter's words in the, in the house of Cornelius, I invite you then to enter into this story uh, and let's do that then together. In our, in our story, uh, in Acts chapter 10, we find that Peter, uh, Peter's a disciple of Christ, he, he grew up Jewish, he has come to recognize that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, uh, the true Messiah of the world, uh, but he ends up in the house of Cornelius. Now, Cornelius is a Gentile Roman army officer. Uh, what that essentially means is that by all, by all purposes and by all accounts, uh, Cornelius is an outsider, Now, the scriptures do reveal that Cornelius uh, prays to God, he cares for the poor, and so we do know that he is sympathetic to the message of Jesus, but again, by all accounts, uh, he is in fact an outsider of the covenant people of God, who is the nation of Israel. And so the question right off the bat, as we're jumping into the middle of the story, the question becomes immediately, how does uh, Peter, a disciple of of the Jewish Messiah, end up telling the story of the gospel uh, in the house of an outsider? Uh, here, briefly, is how it happened, and this is just a little bit of context for the, what we read this morning. Uh, in, early on in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius has a vision uh, and is told to send for Peter who is in Joppa. And so, obeying the voice in the vision that he received, he in fact does that. Now, we also learn just a few verses later that Peter also has a vision. His vision, though, is a little more interesting. Uh, He has a vision of a sheet coming down from heaven with four-footed animals on it, and a voice says, eat. Now, Peter assumes that this is a temptation to eat foods that were, by Jewish religion and law, considered to be unclean, and so uh, he says, no, no. But in fact, he learns that it isn't a temptation, it rather is a revelation. And so the voice says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And right there, Peter is starting to realize that God's plan for the world is more expansive than he had originally thought. Well, right after Peter has this vision, the people that were sent by Cornelius show up and say, we want you to come to the house of Cornelius, Uh, and so Peter, having just seen this vision, uh, agrees to go with them, and then once Peter arrives, uh, Cornelius says, I was told in a vision to send for you, so that's what I've done, and we are here today to listen to what you have to say. Uh, I want you to put yourself in Peter's shoes about how odd this whole thing must seem. Wait a second. You saw a vision that you were supposed to send for me, and then I saw a vision that would even make it possible for me to go, and then now I show up in your house, and you're saying, speak to us. We want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> I mean, this is a rather odd thing, right? Uh, this is a, this is a, there's a mystery to this story. But then, so Peter begins, after having an open floor, Peter begins by saying, I have come to see that God shows no favoritism. Now, at first, it seems like this is really a statement about Peter, uh, that maybe Peter is sharing about his new insight, perhaps uh, insight that he has gained from this rather odd vision of a sheet coming down from heaven. And as I was reading the scriptures this week and really studying it, it struck me as very odd that Peter, after being given an open floor uh, of of sharing the gospel, it it seemed really odd that he would begin by talking about himself. Uh, I have come to see that God shows no favoritism. Now, of course, then I realize what you all have probably realized right away, which is Peter is not at all talking about himself, but rather that he is talking about the character of who God is. He is, he is saying, I have come to see who God really is. In other words, it's as though he is saying, my previous assumptions about God weren't true. I didn't have the whole picture. I didn't have all the information. I didn't have everything I needed. And the, the, what, the image that I projected onto God, I have come to learn, is inaccurate. And, and I, I think that there may be some of us that are there today that we need to have our view of who God is uh, just expanded and widened to really begin to see this is what God is really like. Well, without, uh, and I think we should remind ourselves that without this new revelation about the character of who God is, Peter would have never even gone into the house of a Gentile. There would have been no reason for him to uh, commune together, for them to be in community with one another, for them to converse with one another. Uh, To a good good Jewish person, Gentiles were considered ignorable and maybe deplorable. (laughs) Uh, There was not reason at all for a Jew to be in community with a Gentile until, until Peter begins to realize the true character of who God is. And after realizing the true character of who God is, Peter is ne- then motivated to go into the house of a Gentile and begin preaching and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he begins his sermon by talking about the character of God that makes it even possible for him to be there today. And so he says, God shows no favorites. Are you with me? Does that make sense? This, the, 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 all the dynamics that are going on here. In other words, what it means, what, what this means is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is open to absolutely everyone, even a Roman Gentile army officer. And so then the question is, what is this gospel that is open to all people? Uh, and Jonah did such a great job of reading this for us. Beginning with verse 34, it says, Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God shows no favorites, but, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is Right. And then skip down to verse 39. It says, we are all witnesses of everything that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Well, what were the things that Jesus did in Jerusalem? What were the works uh, right there in the surrounding areas? Well, as we read the Gospels, we learn that what Jesus did is he healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he taught the crowds, and he encouraged them to love their enemies, go the extra mile, be truthful, and forgive Have you ever asked yourself the question, what was this all about? I mean, Good Friday focuses all on the death of Jesus. Easter is all about the resurrection of Jesus. But have you ever asked yourself the question, what is going on with Jesus' life? What was he doing with all of those miracles? What is, uh, was he just showing off his divinity with all of the miracles? Was he giving us good, just a good example to live by, uh, by living with all of his, his personal piety? Or was he establishing himself as one of the world's foremost moral teachers with all of his teachings and his parables? Or was there something else going on altogether? Well, I would want to submit to you this morning that what Jesus was doing in his ministry and in his life was embodying and enacting the kingdom of God. He was establishing a brand new way of life that was open to all people who would confess him as the world's true king. And so his piety was put on display uh, as, as true freedom from sin and other people's opinion of us. Uh, can you imagine what your life would be like if you were totally free from the grip of sin and totally free from what other people's opinion of you? Talk about freedom, Right? And so Jesus puts on display this ultimate freedom that is available to us in him. And then his miracles embody the reality of the redemption of all things and all things made new. And then his teaching encourages us to live into this new way of life called the kingdom of God. And so the kingdom of God is what the world looks like when God is in charge, where illnesses are cured, needs are met, relationships are reconciled. In fact, I would say to you this morning that the Christian hope hinges on the reality that one day his kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Christian hope hinges on the, on the certainty that one day all things will one, once again be made Brand new. And so Peter begins by saying, let us recognize the work and the ministry of Jesus in and all around Jerusalem. Jesus, Peter is calling uh, this, this Cornelius and all of his house, he's calling their attention to the work, the life, the ministry of Jesus. But then he goes on and very quickly says, then they killed him by hanging on a cross. Well, we gathered on on Friday, this, this past Friday, Good Friday, for a beautiful service, remembering the death of Christ. We heard scripture read, we took in artistic displays of the crucifixion. We came into the room full of light, but we left the room in darkness. It was a really wonderful time of remembering the weight of his death on our behalf. But I wonder if just a few moments on this Easter Sunday morning, if we could linger here. You see, death on a cross was was reserved for those who violated the ways and the culture of Rome. Rome had a particular way that they wanted things done. They had a particular way of going about life. They had the Roman way, in the same way that you and I might say there's an American way. Uh, the, 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 just sort of this broad sweep of how we describe the culture, so, true, so it was also true for Rome. And what Rome did is anyone that went against the Roman way is they put them on a cross. It was a public way of saying this person has gone against the empire and this is their punishment. And so Jesus's death on the cross says, obviously the empire was not very happy with him. And so what could Jesus have possibly done that would make them so upset? Well, it was Jesus' message of love, forgiveness, and the kingdom of God that was such a threat to the empire that that made a living on violence and power and oppression and revenge. And though through his life and ministry, Jesus was essentially announcing, there is another way of life available to you that is not the Roman way, but rather is the kingdom way. And he was also announcing through his ministry and through his life, he was essentially saying, there is another king besides Caesar. Caesar. There is another way other than the Roman way. And it so threatened the empire that they placed him upon a wooden cross where he met his death. And so we find that the death of Jesus is filled with all kinds of political upheaval. But we recognize that there's far more going on than just that. Because Jesus, being fully God and fully human, uh, he he stands as the representative human being and takes on the weight of the the world and our sin upon himself. And then bearing the weight of sin, he dies. I love that in Peter's message at Cornelius' house, just as quickly as he mentions the death of Jesus, he very quickly moves to the the resurrection of Jesus, where in verse 40 he says, but God has raised him up on the third day. And that's what we're here to celebrate this morning. Amen? Amen. You see, Easter is a celebration that death is not the end of the story that the resurrection is, in fact, the reversal of death itself. And so we recognize today that what seemed like the end and what seemed hopeless was, in fact, just the beginning and the start of something brand new. And so resurrection is the foundation of Christian faith. It is the pinnacle of the story. It is the defining moment. This is the morning where Christians all throughout time and space declare death does not belong and death does not have the final word. You see, resurrection is the announcement that the new world that Christ was talking about all along, this, all this talk about the kingdom of God, all this piety, all this, this personal piety, these miracles, these, the, these announcements of the kingdom, all that Jesus was doing, what, what resurrection does is it affirms that this new world that Christ was talking about all along is in fact already here, right here and right now. Death and the ways of death are being reversed. And the sin that Jesus bore is defeated. And so hope, freedom, victory, and love win the day. I want to say to you on this Easter that it is very easy as we look out at the landscape of the world to have a cynical mindset. It's very easy as the people of God to look at the world with a, a, a mindset and a posture of hopelessness. But I want to remind us on this Easter Sunday morning that foundational to who we are as a people of God and foundational to our faith is that we dare to hope in the midst of darkness. That on Holy Saturday, when Jesus is in the grave and the cross is draped in black, we dare to hope that Sunday is coming. And I want you to approach the world that way. I want you to see the world through that lens. I want you to have your perspective changed this morning so that we can begin to see the world through a lens of hope and resurrection. That we'll begin to see the world through a lens that one day all things will be made new, that death itself is being reversed because we could look the other way, couldn't we? We could say, oh man, everything is spiraling totally out of control and there's no hope for this place. Well, it's easy to be cynical in that way. But I want to remind us that on this day when we celebrate Jesus getting up out of the grave to just encourage us that the hope of of Easter is that we can look out of the world and say, no, there is good things happening. The kingdom of God is breaking in and death itself is being reversed. That's the good news of Easter. And so I want to encourage you today to not be a community of people looking out at the world with with doom and gloom and and, and cynicism, but rather be filled with hope. In fact, I I want you to take just a moment to recognize the implications of this, to think about something in your life that has death written all over it. Just think of something in your life that has death written all over it. It could be a struggle, an addiction, a habit, a broken relationship. Whatever it is, put that thing in your mind that seems totally dead. That thing in your mind that is living in Holy Saturday. Fully dead, 100% in the grave. Resurrection declares that there is healing from the hurt. That there's freedom from the addiction and there's new life that is possible. That's the hope of Easter. In fact, I would say to you, that's the declaration of Easter is that these things that seem so hopeless, we can dare to hope that all things will be made new. And we can, we can say that our hope isn't just future-oriented, that, oh, yes, that's coming out there one day. But we can pull that more into the present, and we can say that right now, God is making all things new. That God is about the business of redemption and reconciliation. And I want us just this, this Easter Sunday morning to revel in this reality and celebrate God's heart. God's heart is for redemption and renewal. May we see that God is not an angry old man in the sky waiting to punish you for the things you've done wrong, but rather God is, is a loving and caring creator who wants to make all things new in your life. May we realize, just as Peter did, that the ways that we may have thought about God aren't completely accurate. That the ways that maybe we've thought about God in the past aren't completely accurate. Well, then Peter says, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, I said at the beginning that the gospel is not a set of facts that you either believe or not. And you might say, well, it says right here in the text that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness. When the scriptures talk about belief, a far better word or far better equivalent for us is the word trust. When you trust these things about Christ and the gospel, you receive forgiveness of sins. And I would submit to you this morning that trust is different than belief. Belief is connected to a set of facts and particular data, while trust is acting on and orienting my life according to the character of God. In fact, to illustrate that, uh, I want to give you an example, Uh, but I need a volunteer. I wasn't sure if I was going to do this, and I've just decided I'm going to do it. So I need a volunteer. Uh, uh, Not everybody raise your hand at once. (laughs) I can't can't have that many volunteers. I need a volunteer who's strong, uh, and and, uh, I've got a couple kids raising their hand. I want to illustrate to you trust, in which I'm going to do a trust fall. So I need someone who can catch let's say roughly 200 pounds. Just, I mean, if, if, for example, someone else were to be up here, trust falling. I'm, I'm looking at Ken Matthews. I'm, Ken, would you come on up here? That'd be great. I asked for a volunteer, and then I pointed him out of the crowd. You see what I did there? Thank you for doing this. Hey, I'm placing my trust in you this yeah. morning. Please don't let me down. All right. All right. Okay, very good. All right, so... Here, here I want to illustrate the difference between belief and trust. Um, when we talk about belief, it's all about a set of facts and all about particular data. And so if I were to do a trust fall, you guys know what I'm talking about when a trust fall, where I turn my back to Ken. Don't worry, I'm not going to fall now. Uh, but always be ready. Um, it's when you do this and then you just fall back. And, they, and, and if everything goes right on an Easter Sunday morning, they catch you. That's, you guys know what a trust fall is. Belief is this. Belief is knowing the person is going to catch me has the strength. Uh, you look strong, uh, you, you healthy, all of that. Uh, it's, it's believing in they have proper reaction time to know and be able to see, okay, I'm falling, it's time to catch. Um, it's, it's being confident in all of the physical ability uh, for them to catch me. I could talk about all kinds of health metrics and all of that. In other words, I could believe in all the set of facts that on paper, Ken should be able to catch me. That's belief. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> trust, however, is actually churning my back and falling and knowing that he's going to catch me. Trust has more to do with the character of the person than all the data about that person. And what the scriptures say is that when you trust in Christ your sins are forgiven so can I trust you you can all right here we go now I am living into the difference between belief and trust it has been since my junior high years since I've done a a trust fall you got me oh do you have something to say first no okay okay all right here we go three two one nice good good yeah there we go let's give him a hand thank you very much <laughs> now he was so good he didn't make me fall very far that was good <laughs> here's what i point out, here's what i want to point out when it comes to our relationship with jesus christ and our faith i can believe all the right things and not have trust I can have all my theology in a row, all nice and tidy. I can, I can believe everything about who God is on paper. But that's totally different than walking in trust with God. And what I want to encourage all of us to do is just to be discerning about where we're at in our life and say, God, if it's appropriate, I want to go from, I want to take the step from just believing in you, knowing facts about you, and trusting you. Walking with you. Conversely, this is also true. I can trust without having all the right belief or having all my theology all tidy. You see, a lot of times we think that in order to really have faith and in order to really trust God, I got to start believing all the right things. I got to go, I got to have all my theology worked out. I got to be certain of all these beliefs about who God is and, and, and all, the, all these theological points and bullet points. And here's what I want to say to you what God is inviting you into, what the gospel ultimately is an invitation toward, is a trusting relationship with, with God. Now, we need, belief is vitally important and, and education is good. But we shouldn't think that I have to get everything figured out before I can trust. And nor should we think that because I think I have everything figured out and I, and I hold solid in my beliefs that I'm actually trusting. They're not the same thing. And so I want to encourage us all to walk in a trusting relationship with Jesus Christ. And the promise of scripture then is that for those who trust in his name, they will receive the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness is a powerful word because it means, because forgiveness is the reality that our sin is no longer held against us. That our sin is no longer held against us. This is what makes the the message of Jesus so powerful. And this is also what makes the message of Jesus fly in the face of the message of empire. The Roman Empire was just all about revenge, all about uh, a tit-for-tat attitude. You got us, we're gonna get you harder. It's all built on revenge. But what forgiveness is, is forgiveness is the divine creator of the world looking at you and saying, I am no longer going to hold your sin against you, your your value, your worth, your, your your worthiness of being loved are in no way determined by either your perfection or your brokenness. That's the beauty of forgiveness. Forgiveness also means that not only is our, our sin no longer held against us, but it also is this reality that we are no longer defined by our sin. You see, our brokenness and all the ways that we fall short and all the things that we've done to hurt others often define our lives and our character. But forgiveness is saying this sin no longer defines who you are. And when we recognize forgiveness for this kind of depth, we recognize the true power of the gospel. That forgiveness and reconciliation is an absolutely scandalous thing. But God in Christ has forgiven us and reconciled us to himself. And so forgiveness is all about receiving a new start filled with the spirit of God and his righteousness we are made free. And so we begin first with the works of Jesus in and around Jerusalem, the kingdom of God. Jesus is then killed on the cross, salvation from sin. Jesus is then raised from the dead, power of death reversed and then belief or trust in him is the forgiveness of sin. Church, this is the story of Jesus Christ. And we almost decide what we're going to do with this story and the truth that it reveals about ourselves, about the world, and about God. And I want to remind us again of the context. This story is told to an outsider who places his faith in Christ. And the point is not to say that there are then are insiders and outsiders, but rather the point is to say that the whole concept of insider and outsider no longer applies because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I want to turn back to the first part of Peter's message at Cornelius's house God shows no favorites. Here's a quote from theologian N T. Wright God has no favorites. This does not mean that God runs the world as a democracy or that he simply validates and accepts everyone's opinion about everything or everyone's chosen lifestyle. Rather, it means that there are no ethnic, geographical, cultural, gender, or moral barriers any longer in the way of anyone and everyone being offered forgiveness and new life in Christ. And that is a message far more powerful than the easygoing, laissez-faire tolerance which contemporary Western society so easily embraces. My prayer for us today is that we would hear and respond to this story, that we would move from a position of belief to trust. And if you're here today and you're not yet to a place where you have come to believe, we pray that God will move you to a place of belief and trust in who God is and all that he has done. Amen.